God does not fail. He can't fail. All right. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. We started preaching through this book a while back and I think something happened uh, to intervene maybe a time or two, but we're back on it now. The thing I like about preaching through a book of the Bible is people can't accuse me of riding a hobby horse or just picking favorite texts to shoot at people with. <laughs> I, I just preach, when I'm preaching through a book, I just preach it as I come to it. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. This will be probably the, about the fourth or fifth message out of there, out of that book. And we'll just preach in it till we get through. How about that? Everybody okay with that? Good. We read in chapter 4 the first 12 verses. We'll entitle the message, How to Please Your Father. We spoke this morning from a totally different passage uh, and I really didn't uh, des- try to design this to dovetail into each other, but we talked this morning about being accepted by the Father and a lot about the Father, who He is, who we are in the Father. And now tonight, totally different passage, how to please your Father. Verse number 1, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse number 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk. Now, underline that if you mark in your Bible, how you ought to walk and to please God. And underline that, to walk with God and please God. So you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Underline that word. That was in the message this morning. I think it's been in some of the songs. It's been in some of the other messages that are preached lately. Seems like the Lord just put that in there for us, don't you think? I wonder if God really wants us to be holy. Seems like it, doesn't it? Verse 8. And therefore... He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without. And that you may have 
lack of nothing. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus and Lord beseeching the Holy Spirit to give that unction, that power that we need to bring forth your word in a way that it will make a difference in our lives. Lord, we're needy people. None of us have arrived and yet this passage of scripture teaches us that we're to press on and move forward to progress. And Lord, we can't do it without you. And so we pray you'd show us tonight on how to walk with you and to please you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How to please your father. We were in North Carolina uh, a couple years ago. We usually go to Colorado for a little trip in, the, in September, but uh, it was, COVID was rampant at that particular season. And so the friends that we usually stay with in Colorado, they both had uh, a terrible case of COVID and they were down and just, they couldn't do anything. I mean, they were just in a fog and they, they wouldn't even respond to their own children. They were, they were kind of like you were in yours, Brother Lloyd. Just, they were just really down and out. And so we, we chose to go east uh, that year for our little vacation trip. So we went into North Carolina. And uh, because we were with Aaron and Erica, all they know to do on vacation is hike, hike, hike. They don't know they're dealing with some elderly folks that are decrepit and not able to do a lot of that. But we did our best to struggle and stay up. We went, went and hiked several different trails to see waterfalls. This one trail we went was, seemed like a good long ways. Uh, to me, it was like 900 miles long. And uh, it was not a, one of those paved walkways, you know, with handrails and all of that. This thing, I mean, it had tree roots this big around, big as a log growing out in the pathway. Trenches washed out in the pathway. Rocks as big around as this. And this was more like exploring a cave than it was walking on a hiking trail. And so we were going on this hiking trail to see the waterfall and we'd meet some people along the way and they're on their way back and we'd ask them questions you know, as we're passing them. How, how much further is it? Are we going to make it? Yeah, yeah, you'll make it. It's only like 10 more miles. <laughs> and, and No, it wasn't that bad, but it seemed like it. And so a lot of walking involved. Now, people need to walk. They need to exercise. But, boy, it was going against my nature to have to walk that far. But the Christian life is about walking, walking with God. And as a kid, without, before I got my first car, I learned a lot about walking. I mean, if we went anywhere back where I grew up, it was in the backwoods of Izzard County, and, and you, didn't catch, you didn't catch an Uber or a taxi or even catch a ride with a neighbor. You, you'd seldom see cars even going up and down that old gravel road. And so we hoofed it everywhere we went. And so I learned a lot about walking. And the Apostle Paul here, as in other passages of Scripture, he uses the terminology, the phraseology of walking with God in a number of different times, how we walk with him. The Christian -like life is like a walk. Uh, for instance, in Ephesians 4, 1, it says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 17, it says, walk not as other Gentiles walk. In Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. And in Ephesians 5 and 8, it says, walk as the children of life, walk. And so the Christian life is akin to walking. And the Christian life begins with a single step of faith to be accepted in Christ. But then the rest of the Christian life is also 
successive steps of a walk of faith with him. Walking suggests progress. How many of you know that God didn't save us just to sit still and be just like we were before we got saved? Discipleship means moving forward. Discipleship is what Jesus did with the people that he enlisted in the Lord's army when he walked the earth. And as disciples, they were moving forward and learning more. And as Paul won people to the Lord in Asia Minor and all over the known world at that time, he would talk to them about walking and moving forward, progressing in the Christian faith. And I wonder how many people could honestly say, I've moved forward from where I was when I got saved. Uh, where I came from up in the hills when people would get saved, oftentimes uh, you couldn't tell any difference 20 years later than you could the day they got saved. I mean, they just they got saved and glad they're going to heaven, but they didn't know any more about the Christian life. Well, the walk is an advancement, and it demands strength. Deuteronomy 33, 25 says, As thy days, so shall thy strength be. In other words, God said, You've got a, you've got a long walk ahead of you, but however long that is to the end of your life, I'm going to give you the strength to get it done. And then it tells us in 1 John that we're to walk in the light. And then at the end of life's walk, we'll step into the very presence of the Lord. Enoch in Genesis 5.24 walked with God. It says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And that was the end of his earthly walk. You and I, listen, you and I will have an end to our earthly walk. Right now we have some progress to be made and it will come to an end. I don't know anybody that's ever lived in the centuries before us that didn't die except somebody like Enoch. Two or three went to heaven by a rapture. But the rest of us, we're going to die and our walk will be over. But even if you were fortunate enough to go up in the rapture, that will signify the end of your walk on earth. Paul described in this passage of scripture a threefold walk for the Christian to follow. Now, let's, let's look at these. Number one, walk in holiness. In verses one through eight in the text that we read, uh, he talks about walking in holiness. In verse number four, for example, he says that every, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Sanctification, as we described this morning, sanctification is being set apart to be holy for the Lord, set apart for Him. We don't belong to the world anymore. He said, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. You're the Lord's. When you get saved, you belong to Him. And so, He wants us to be holy. The moral climate here in this, in this time, this historical time of the Apostle Paul, uh, Roman Empire was going then, and the moral climate was horrible. I mean, people had no morals. It was, uh, it was just a way of life. People lived that way. They had cult temples, and they even had prostitutes in their religion, and, and male and female. It was, it was a horrible moral climate in those years. And so Paul knowing that these new people that he had won to Christ, they're, sus they're susceptible to all of this climate, this moral climate around, immoral climate around them. And Paul has to give them instructions. You're not to walk as the Gentiles walk. You're not to walk as the lost people walk. When you get saved, you're set apart for God. And he gave four reasons why we should live and they should live a holy life and abstain from sensual lust. Number one, live holy 
to please God. Verse number one says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God. That's why I had you underline that a little while ago. Because part of the reason, a big part of the reason of walking in this path of holiness is to please God. Well, too many live in that day and in this day to please themselves or to please somebody else. But God says, you're supposed to please Him. William Hazlitt wrote, The soul of a journey is liberty, perfect liberty, to think, feel, and do just as one pleases. Well, that kind of describes the way our climate is today uh, in moral issues, right? Do as you please. Well, now to do as you please, even in the business world or in, in the Christian world or your work day, if you try to just do as you please, you think that's going to fly? I don't think so. Bad advice. Romans 15.1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we're not to live for itself. We're to die daily to ourselves and to live to please Him and He might direct us to help others along the way. We must be careful when it comes to pleasing other people. I mean, we... We want to please our family. We want to please our wives. You want to please your husband. You want to please your children. But we have to be careful in the way we do that because we can actually go against God in trying to please somebody else. <laughs> Erica had to, uh, the last few days, because little Harrison's getting mobile. <laughs> I mean, little babies like that, you, you pray for them to the, they'll start moving around and they'll finally crawl and then walk and all of that and then as soon as they start getting around then you got to stop them <laughs> you wanted them to walk now they're saying now the parents are saying no don't do that and so when when a little baby's crawling after something that's not good for him maybe he's crawling for the fireplace maybe he's crawling for a plastic bag that could smother him maybe he's after that he's got to be stopped you you don't want to make him unhappy nobody wants to spank their children uh, but you have to Learn that to please God, you have to control the children. If we don't please God first, we'll actually abuse our families by not taking the responsibility to oversee them. In Galatians 1.10, listen to this. For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. That doesn't mean we're not to ever do anything to help somebody out or to, to please them. It means that First of all, we've got to ask the question, is this going to be pleasing to him? If I please them, will this please him? If it'll please him, then I'll go ahead and please him too. But he comes first. This has been Paul's attitude. Even when he ministered in Thessalonica, he said, Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who trieth our hearts, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Pleasing God ought to be, listen, pleasing God ought to be our major motive for whatever we do. When you're choosing a college, when you're choosing a job, when you're choosing to have a family, when you're choosing a life's mate, we're to please God first and to seek His will. Children should live to please their father. And we as Christians ought to please our father. 
The Holy Spirit works in our lives. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Enoch, as we mentioned a little while ago, walked with God. And the Bible says he had this testimony, Hebrews 11.5. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Now that might seem like just a trite statement at first. But can you think of anything that would be greater than pleasing Him? As we walk, we walk to please Him. Jesus Himself said, as the Son walking on the earth in His days, I do always those things that please Him. John 8, 29. Even Jesus sought to please the Father. But you know, it's possible to obey God and still not please Him. What? You remember Jonah? He first disobeyed God by not going. Then God sent him into the ocean, the sea, and then into the whale's belly. When he got out of that whale's belly, man, he hit the ground running. He said, I'll, I'll go, Lord. I'll go preach the gospel to Nineveh like you wanted. And so he goes to Nineveh, man. He goes through Nineveh, big city. He's preaching from every street all the way through the city. This is a big city. And he's preaching, and people actually repent and get, turn to the Lord. But Jonah's heart wasn't in it. He sat up on a hillside hoping God would change his mind and smash him like a bug. He, ple- he obeyed God, but he didn't please God because his heart was wrong. We can, and, and your children can do that, can't they? You can make them do something like, like the little boy that was showing out and his, and his mama sent him to uh, sit in the corner. She said, you sit down in that chair and you stay there. And he sat there and she said, and don't you get up. He said under his breath, he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. What's he saying? I'm giving lip service and I'm obeying as best anybody can see from the outside. But in my heart, I'm a rebel to the core. <laughs> yeah. That's the way Jonah was. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. How do we know what pleases God? The more we're into the Word of God, listen, the more we're into His Word, the more we'll know how to please Him. The more that we work with Him and walk with Him and we fellowship with Him in our devotion and in our our prayer time, the more we do that, the more we're in church services, the more classes, a Bible class that we attend, the more we understand what God expects of us and how to please Him. And that's how we know. That's why I say, you may not be required by the law to be in every church service. But if something happens in a service that changes your life, wouldn't it be a real tragedy if you happen to not be in that service? You never know when you miss, if you're going to miss that one service where God had something just for you. So we ought to be in all of them. So we walk with God and we want to please Him and we want to obey him. Verses 2 and 3, look at that back in our text. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Well, wait, I thought commandments were just in the Old Testament. 
Well, he talks about New Testament commandments. Jesus gave quite a few of them. And verse 3 says, And this is the will of God for your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. He's given them some commandments. And to obey God. When soldiers are given orders, they're expected to obey. At least it used to be. I don't know how it is now, but it used to be. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he said, No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And he talks about sanctification here and possessing the vessel. The body is the vessel. And he says, in this, under the Roman influences where, where people are sex-obsessed, he's saying, this is not for God's people to be that way. You know, God did create sex. He did. He created it for the procreation of children, even for pleasure for those who are married. But fornication is defined as anything that's outside of marriage is sinful. You say, but wait a minute, you, wouldn't it be all right for two people to have sex before they're married if they're in love with each other? Yeah, God says, well, yeah, if you're in love with each other, go ahead and break my commandments, that's okay. <laughs> I'd be like saying, thou shalt not steal. But if that bank's got some money you won't, go ahead and take it, it'd be okay. No, he says, possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And I know we live in a time when, when people mock and ridicule Christians for, for saying that you ought to wait until you get married for this. God designed it, and he designed it for you to enjoy it, but not outside the bonds of holy matrimony between a man and a woman. <laughs> it's sad that you have to say that, but you do. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. That's what God said. Baptist preacher didn't make that up. <laughs> God's commandments concerning sex are not for the purpose of robbing people of joy but rather protecting and preserving their joy. He says abstain from fornication. Then there's a Third purpose in, in all of this, and that's to glorify God. Verses 4 and 5, notice that, that every one of you should know how to place his, honor, uh, on, uh, his vessel in sanctification and honor. Verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. This is the positive side of this God's commandment. And he's saying that the Gentiles... In this context, the Gentiles didn't know how to please God. But the saved people know. And we're to honor God and to glorify. We can glorify God if we obey God. And then to escape the judgment of God, verses 6 through 8. Notice that it says in verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we have also forewarned you, and testified, for God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. There it is again. God keeps repeating that word. America doesn't love it. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who, hath also, who also hath given us 
unto his Holy Spirit, unto us his Holy Spirit. God is no respecter of persons. When God's judgment is called for, he's not going to let one of us off the hook and punish the other. And for Christians, his, his correction is going to come just as surely to a Christian that's trying to live for him most of the time, but he fudges a little. His judgment is going to come just the same as it would anybody else. He doesn't say, well, you've been trying pretty good. You had a little slip up there. I'm going to let you off. You know, remember David, King David, when he committed <coughs> fornication, adultery with Bathsheba? And Nathan, the old prophet, pointed his finger in his face and he said, he said thou art the man. Well, David admitted his sin. He confessed and, and he said, Lord, I'm, I'm guilty. And you can read in the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 51, where David records how he felt and what he went through because of this fornication with Bathsheba, even though he repented. You see, God, God will forgive, but that doesn't mean the consequences are erased. And David had to suffer the consequences. His, his children turned against him. Wife left him, mocked him. He had trouble and turmoil the rest of his life because of what he did. Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. Yeah, God forgave him, and God will forgive you when you do wrong. God's faithful to forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive us. When we ask, when we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But that doesn't mean he wipes out all the consequences. I mean, you can, uh, you can murder somebody and then go ask their forgiveness, and even though they might forgive you, that doesn't mean the judge is not going to send you to the prison. Consequences still have to be paid. A church member criticized her pastor because he was preaching against sin in the lives of Christians. And she said, after all, sin in the life of a believer, of a believer is different than the sin of a, of a sinner. The pastor said, well, you're right. It is different in the life of a believer than a lost person. It's worse. We expect lost people to sin, but God doesn't expect his children to carry on that way. Well, the Holy Spirit lives within us. We become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit lives within us to direct us in the right way in our walk so that we are more faithful to Him. Now notice the second thing. God wants us to walk in holiness, but then He wants us to walk in harmony. Verses 9 and 10 in our text. But it's touching brotherly love. There's a subject. You need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. The more we live like God, the more we walk with God. When we walk with God, we learn about His love for us. And if He loves me, then I love Him because he first loved me, and I'm supposed to pass that love on. The Bible says the, the love of the Holy Ghost is shed abroad in our hearts. And so when we get saved, we're supposed to demonstrate that love to other people. I know Christians that won't forgive. I know, pre I know, I know preachers that won't forgive. I mean, they just get mad and hold a grudge and stay that way. That's not the way pre preachers, Christians, children of God, not supposed to hold grudges and fail to forgive. 
God forgave us. We didn't deserve it. Walk in harmony. The more we live like God, the more we love one another. There's four basic words for love in the Greek language. These are not all in the Bible, but they're in the Greek language. Uh, one is eros, means the physical love, romantic love, and uh, that's not found in the Bible. Another word is storge, and it means like family love. You, you, you love your family. You love a husband. You love a wife. You love your children. Children love their parents and so forth. That's family type love. And then the two words most used for love are phileo and agape. Phileo is the love of deep affection. Just have a great deal of affection for somebody such as a friendship or even in marriage. But agape is the love that God shows towards us. And while we can't completely duplicate his kind of love, I mean, you just you don't have it within you. But that's the love we're to try to emulate. It's the kind of love that is more than just based on a feeling. And I, who was it? Somebody mentioned to me just, uh, I think Brother Joey mentioned to me a couple of days ago about something I'd said before in preaching that when I was telling married people, you know, that are about on the fringe of a divorce, I tell them, stick with it. Work it out. God can, God can give you the answers. And they say, well, we just fell out of love. And my instruction is, fall back in. <laughs> you have the ability. If you decide to love somebody, you can decide to love them again. And so you don't just quit. I mean, a marriage vow ought to mean something, don't you think? If we, we pledge before God Almighty that we're going to stick with this spouse through thick and thin, through sickness and health and through financial ruin and all those other things that can happen to you, if you made a vow before God and to your partner, is that vow not valid anymore? I, I am a firm believer that you can love somebody even if you don't want to. I mean... Who wants to love Brother Paul? <laughs> you have to work at it. <laughs> Dee doesn't even like him. <laughs> Sorry, brother. <laughs> you can love somebody if you decide to. When God loved you, he didn't love you because you were lovely. He loved you because he decided to. And you can decide to love that mate. You can restore that relationship. You can decide to because it's the principle that's right, not because you have some warm and fuzzy emotion inside. Love is not an emotion, regardless of what the psychologists say. <coughs> love, <coughs> love is a principle in the Bible, and it is something that can be done in spite of what your emotions tell you. Your emotions can tell you to commit adultery. That doesn't mean you have to give in. And this is why, listen, I've said it over and over again, this is why when... when Two homosexuals say, well, we were just born that way. We have no choice. We have to love each other. I say hogwash. Men and women were born to be attracted to each other. That doesn't mean you have to give in to your lust and commit fornication. And so by the same token, born that way or not, you don't have to do it. I don't think they were born that way anyhow. I think it's a fad. Just look at the numbers today and compare them to the numbers of a few decades ago. It's crazy. It's a fad. And the, the uh, transgender thing. 
it's a fad. You know, you're cool if you change, change your gender. Well, if you can change your gender, that'd be pretty cool because you'd be more powerful than God. God assigned two genders and only one to each person. You're either man or woman. However you're born, that's the way you're going to die. He ain't going to change your XY chromosomes. You're just stuck with it. However you're born, that's what you are. You can cut, you can cut yourself, mutilate yourself, and try to change yourself and convince yourself that you're the other gender, but you ain't. Not good English, but that's good theology. In Philadelphia is translated brotherly love because Christians belong to the same family. You know we're supposed to love each other. Animals do what's instinctively born into them. Fish scent, swim in the water because that's the way they're, that's the way they're made. They're, God created them to swim in the water. And they swim in schools sometimes. Some fish swim in schools because that's the way God created them. God created maybe a hawk to fly. And that hawk flies because it's born into him. And when you're born again into the family of God, it's born into you that you ought to love your brethren. It ought to be instinctive. So we're to walk in holiness. We're to walk in harmony. How many churches would have a lot better time and enjoy their Christianity more if they learned to get along with one another? We have a good spirit in this church, and I hope it stays that way forever and ever. Uh, we love one another. And I mean, I'm not, that's just not a rhetorical comment. It's true. I think we have a good group of believers who just love each other, and that's the way it ought to be. And then the third thing is walk in honesty. We see that in verses 11 and 12. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. <laughs> we might say that in our Arkansas vernacular. We might say... Mind your own business. <laughs> huh? I think that's what Paul's trying to get across here. Mind your own business. And that you study to be quiet, be peaceable. God wants his children to be peaceable and to please God and to walk with God. If you're going to please God in your walk with him, be peaceable. The Bible says in Romans to live peaceably with all men as much as lieth within you. Now, if somebody comes along and attacks your family and you defend your family, then they've crossed a line. I believe a man has to defend his family. And if somebody breaks into my house in the middle of the night, I have a way of dealing with that. <laughs> I'll throw some of my coffee on them, they'll melt, like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> or is it the East? I don't know. I don't know where those witches come from. <laughs> Walk in honesty. He says that you study to be quiet, to do your own business. That means don't be meddling with somebody else's business. Take care of your own business. If we, if we stay busy with our own business, we won't have a lot of time to meddle with somebody else's business. And he says, as we, has, as we, as we commanded you, that you may walk, here's our word, honestly toward them that are without. And then that you may have lack of nothing. He's saying, you remember, he said, if any would not work, neither should they eat. As, as, this ties in with that verse. Uh, people ought to work. We live in a time when so many people are dependent on the government to feed them. And if you vote for the right politician, well, actually the wrong politician, 
He'll get you a check, and man, you won't ever have to work again. Now, you won't ever have anything, and you'll be, you'll be on the brink of being broke the rest of your life, but you can lay in the recliner and eat pork and beans the rest of your life. God expects us to work. You know, when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them a job. He said, get in that garden and till the ground. And that's before the fall. He said, work that ground. He gave them a job to do. Because people are not happy if they're not working. You know, in, in a family, if you've got a freeloader that won't work, that'll be the one that does the most mully grubbing. You know what mully grubbing is, don't you? <laughs> the complainer. If you've got somebody, if you got somebody in your family, if you've got somebody out on the job where you work and you've got one guy that lets everybody else carry the load and that guy is just a freeloader, you know, he's just letting everybody else carry the weight for him. He's probably the guy that's going to gripe the most and hate the boss the most and, and bellyache and complain all the time. In a church, you know, the people that are busiest in the church are usually the ones that are the least, least complainers. They're busy doing stuff. They haven't got time to complain. They're just trying to get something done. But the people who sit back and want to be armchair theologian or armchair pastor, man, they've got a lot of opinions and, and they'd like to have their ideas put into action. And they'll let you know. <laughs> we as Christians have the obligation of loving one another. It is an obligation. We're supposed to have quietness of mind and inner peace. That's what he's talking about here. The Greeks in the day of Paul, the Greeks, they despised manual labor. They had slaves. And so they had the slaves doing all the work, and they could lay around and dream up immoral things to do. And God said, you just need to be busy working. You need to be, you need to be industrious. As it says in Proverbs, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Remember that? Ants are busy. They're always trying to get my coffee, Brother Lloyd. Anybody else had black ants this year in your kitchen? I've been invaded. Y'all had something? Man, I, I'm going to get my 12-gauge shotgun out and see if I can blast them away or something. I've tried spraying them and killing them and smacking them. And I, I guess you have to spray on the outside of the house to keep them getting through the foundation or something. But, boy, they've been terrible this year. But they're busy. I get, I'll give them that. The little devils can work. I kept bees for a lot of years, and... Those little bees, I mean, they get, up, they get up before the sun's up, and they get busy. They're going out there finding some flowers and bringing in the nectar, and they're making honey, and some of the nurse bees are feeding those baby bees and larvae, and, and you've got other housekeeping bees, and they're, always, they're finding little scraps of honeycomb and stuff, and they're, they're cleaning all that stuff up and carry it out to the edge of the hive and drop it on the ground, and, and every bee has got, got their own job. The queen's busy laying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eggs every day. And, uh, and the drone, well, the drones don't do much. They just, they're the male bees, and they lay around and don't do anything. And, but there's a price to pay. In the fall of the year, the worker bees drag those drones out to the edge front porch on their hive, and they sting them to death, and they're gone. <laughs> they kick them out of the hive in the fall. They're not going to feed them through the winter. <laughs> but they're busy. And a hive of Christians are the happiest when they're busy just doing stuff that needs to be done. A lot of these believers, the reason Paul's having to give this instruction here is because they, they were expecting the Lord to come back. And they thought, well, if he's coming back right away, uh, we'll, 
we'll give up our job and we'll sell off our property and we'll get us a recliner and we'll sit back and we'll sit on iced tea till he comes. <laughs> well, he didn't come. Paul had to say, look, you'll, you'll be notified when he comes. You don't need to sit and wait for him. You just get busy and serve him till he calls you. When the trumpet sounds, you'll know. <laughs> One guy's talking about uh, folks who get overextended in their money. That's what he's saying here too. Walk honestly toward them that are without. In other words, <clears throat> pay your bills to them that's outside. <clears throat> you know, sometimes Christians ruin the testimony not of the, only of themselves, but the testimony of the church, testimony of the Lord, because they make bills out there with the Gentiles, those that are not saved, and they don't pay their bills, and then they lose their testimony. One man said uh, his wife was going to have plastic surgery. And his friend said, how's that? He said, I'm going to take a knife and cut up her credit cards. <laughs> plastic surgery. Well, I, I won't explain that. I say if you have to explain a joke, it ain't worth telling. <clears throat> Mind your own business, work with your own hands. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. And uh, believers who are going to do the Father's business don't have the, the time nor the desire to meddle in other people's business. There's several good reasons why Christians should work, and one of them is to provide for your own family. And if unsaved people have to work and pay their bills, shouldn't Christians do the same thing? So let's wrap this up. This passage of Scripture is an advanced discipleship course for the believer. I mean, there's, there's some basics we learn right at the beginning when we first get saved. But discipleship is a lifelong endeavor. And Paul's going the extra mile here to teach these people some things that they really need to know for the, for the uh, political and religious social climate they were in. And we see in this passage just how practical the Christian life is, how to walk with God and please Him. A father took his son to a museum thinking that it would entertain the boy, and after they'd been there for a while, the boy kind of got bored with it, and he said, Dad, let's go somewhere else. Let's go someplace where there's, where there's reality. <laughs> well, there's a historical museum, <laughs> but the boy wanted to see reality. And some people feel that way about the Bible. They think, man, I'd rather see something relevant for today. You know, give me some modern psychology. Uh, this is relevant for today. It's not a historical uh, document to be just, pushed on a shelf and look at it once in a while. It's something that will help us. William Lyon Phelps, for years, called Yale's most inspiring professor, said, I, have, I believe knowledge of the Bible without a college course is more valuable than a college course without a Bible. I believe that. I'm all for college. I'm all for education got some of it myself not enough to hurt me I had to overcome some of it <laughs> but I'm all for college education but if we had to choose between the two you'd be better off with this than you would the college now if you are smart and have both you're doing really good live a holy life a harmonious life live an honest life let's pray together father we love you thank you for the passage of scripture that directs us in our walk and how to please you. I pray that you'd bless our church, bless our folks, bless all that here tonight. Lord, I pray that there's 
those who may not know Jesus as Savior, that they'd realize tonight that he bled and died to pay for their sins, of which they cannot ever pay themselves. And Lord, he did that for them by dying on the cross, by his vicarious suffering. And Lord, I pray that tonight those who have not trusted Christ as Savior would say, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner just like the Bible says, and I need a Savior, and I know the only Savior is Jesus. And I'm placing my trust in him this evening because I know what he did for me on that cross. I pray that Christians, maybe their walk's been a little wobbly, but tonight they say, you know, I need to straighten my walk a little bit. I want to honor Christ. I want to live that life that's sanctified. I want to be set apart for the Father. Lord, I pray that they'd do that tonight, make that decision. As we stand to our feet,